Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum, and I have COVID. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling? I feel fine. You're on day what since a positive diagnosis? I got a positive diagnosis Saturday. And what were your symptoms? I thought I had a sinus infection. It was like very mild, and then I had a fever, and then I I was maybe like knocked out for like a day. And then a low-grade fever for a few days, and then I've been fine ever since. Obviously, I got really, really lucky. And yeah, I was actually thinking, like, should I even talk about it? Because I don't want to downplay it, because my experience has been very mild, obviously. And and I'm like, okay, well, it's because I'm young and healthy. But then I'm, like, reading, like, there's a WNBA player, Asia Durr. She's 23 years old, and she's saying that COVID might have, like, ended her career. And now there's the new variants. There's a California variant, which is terrible. They're all much more transmissible. So now it's all about double masking. Well, I was going to bring up something. I was like, oh, I have another depressing thing to talk about. But, and I don't know if it really counts as arts and culture. We can always plug the music in if it does turn out to be arts and culture. Okay. So I obviously have been (laughs) quarantined because of COVID with my friend who also tested positive. So we've been just like in my apartment, keeping them away from their roommate and watching everything on all the apps. So it got to the point where we had to like start paying for things. And so Amazon Prime has the option where you can rent movies for an exorbitant price. So I paid $20 to rent this movie called The Dissident, which it has everything. You remember when I was writing a book and you told me, you know, you don't have a love story. Where's a love story? Every, everything has to have a love story. So this is a documentary. It's about the murder of the Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi in Turkey by yep. the Saudi government. And it is overwhelmingly everything. It, it is, it's, so, it's the most tragic story you've ever heard. It's scary. It makes you never want to use your phone or computer again. It has. And is there a es- love story in it? Yes, 1,000%. It's like, it's... And you see how all these things are connected that have come out in the news. So remember when Bezos's nudes leaked? Yes. All directly related. And they go into all of this in the documentary. And it's brain exploding emoji. Like it's the dissident. It's told really well. And I think like we should all be just aware of what's going on in the world in this way at like such this crazy macro micro level. But the, the part that I'm most conflicted about is like you'll see in the end how it's ultimately like a really incredible like PR move for Jeff Bezos. Um, and I paid him $20 to watch it. So I'm like a little I'm a little oh, like. Yeah. Yeah, it's all connected. Anyway, that's my um, recommendation. I think everyone should watch it and just get educated and like entertained is not the right word, but it's very moving. Yeah. So my recommendation, if we're just going to go on that tip, I bought a stovetop pressure cooker. (laughs) (laughs) So I am I'm now in the stovetop pressure cooking phase of quarantine. It's a whole genre of cooking and recipes. What's the benefit? It takes a significantly less amount of time than slow cooking or regular cooking. So, for example, I made Korean brisket with kimchi and it took 20 minutes. Incredible. You know, like melt in your mouth, tender brisket. And brisket, for those who don't know, can take hours and hours and hours to really render all the fat and really get moist and fall apart. Well, you're really not going to have time to tend to your Korean brisket when you have a little baby. So I it's know. Good. We're, 
We're at 35 weeks today. She's the size of a butternut squash. She weighs as much as a bunch of carrots. And she's almost like, I think 37 weeks is considered full term. So we are, we're at the finish line. It feels really abstract. Like, you know, I've never changed a diaper (laughs) in my life. So I'm trying to wrap my head around what that will be like. It'll be, I mean, I'm so excited, but at the same time, I'm to be totally honest, I just have no idea what I'm getting myself into. I feel good about this. I see Liberty print custom (laughs) bloomers. Yes, there's a lot of Liberty Print custom bloomers. Um, what I realized after sort of like doing an inventory of her current wardrobe is that I'm basically dressing her as me. It's all like crazy pants and, you know, white shirts and a little bit of like panache thrown in for good measure. Panache. Like a funky hat. I love that that's the word that you come up with for yourself. Yeah. Panache. Shall we get into top stories? Yeah. Okay, so speaking of COVID, which when are we not? California Beauty Professionals, which is an organization that I guess like was brought together back in 1999. It's a nonprofit. They represent more than 620,000 licensed beauty professionals and 53,000 barbers in California. They're suing Governor Gavin Newsom over COVID closures. Saying what? What's their claim? Well, they're pissed because he's letting other industries, for instance, quote unquote, Hollywood, stay open while this huge number of workers, they also teamed with a restaurant group as well, are not able to do business in any form. And they're not getting uh, financial relief in any way. He's just, as we know, as is happening across the country, you know, telling people to stay home, even if it means that they can't work. Fred Jones, who is the group's lobbyist and legal counsel, told Women's Wear Daily, if you're a hairstylist in L.A., you can't work in your own salon. But if you have a contract with the Hollywood film studio, you're allowed to do the exact same hair services because Hollywood has been deemed by Gavin Newsom as essential and also... Walmart and Costco are kept open and really independent businesses are the ones that are suffering the most. I mean, they do deserve government relief. You know, even the the person who cuts my husband's hair, basically every other week, it's like either he's closed or he's open or he has to close and cancel all of his appointments. I don't know how you can survive like that. Yeah. I mean, I think like the answer is not to like send everybody back into their salons with a set of rules that are changing week by week. I think the answer is to like cut everyone a big fat check and say, stay yeah. home and here's a vaccine and let's all get better very quickly. In collaboration news, Amore Pacific has announced a collab with none other than Off-White, Virgil Abloh's brand. They're like a collaboration machine. I feel like they function basically just as a vehicle for collaborations. They did an IKEA collaboration. They did a Way Beauty way back when, remember? They're not unlike UGG. They're not unlike UGG. Off-White did do a Mercedes-Benz collaboration, but now they're doing a Amore Pacific collaboration. It launches January 31st. It's definitely going to sell out. But we were trying to like figure out from the products like what actually made them unique, and we couldn't really figure it out. He seemed to have like written, you know, his trademark quote unquote words on compacts and packaging. They collaborated on something that they're calling the quote unquote all caps protection box. And it's made to target specific skin concerns related to wearing masks during COVID. So they made 
off-white branded cotton pads, soothing and hydrating sheet masks, UV protecting tone-up cushion, and a lip balm. And it says they're developed in partnership with Amore Pacific. I have like a feeling they're probably just the Amore Pacific formulas repackaged as off-white collab formulas. Don't quote me on that. Um, And then they have a cloth mask and a strap. And then they're also, as part of this, launching a quote-unquote all-caps play kit, which is their own interpretation of a traditional Korean board game called Yut Nori. I don't know exactly what that has to do with beauty, but um, or off-white, but... It seems like, I mean, what's interesting to me about this collab is that I feel like beauty is the next frontier for, you know, hypebeast streetwear and the whole resale market. Like we saw last year how much Pat McGrath Supreme Lipstick was going for on, you know, resellers like StockX, you know, many, 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 many times its retail price. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more of these types of collaborations. Supreme probably making more beauty collaborations, you know, skincare brands making cool streetwear collaborations, et cetera. And just seeing this stuff go on the resale market. I think the issue, of course, is, you know, it's easier to resell a shirt than it is a cushion compact. How do you feel about all of these beauty brands having merch lines? That's a great question. I applaud any brand that has such a good brand that someone wants to wear a shirt of it. So, you know, I think that it takes a certain type of brand to be unique enough to warrant merch. You know, I would imagine not everyone's buying all the merch that all the brands are selling though. I think when done right, it's cool. I'm like a big merch guy because it's cheap and fun. Right, right. I haven't quite wrapped my mind around my opinion on the whole phenomenon. It just, it seems like so much stuff. Just yeah. stuff. This leads into my issue with more stuff in the world. Microplastics, okay. for the first time, have been found in human placentas. The study out of Ugh. Rome basically found like little particles of plastic in the placentas of 12 women who had had you know, natural pregnancies. And obviously, I don't need to explain that, like, that's not a good thing. But what does this mean? Like, did they eat plastic or? So in total, 12 microplastic fragments ranging from 5 to 10 millimeters in size, which sounds huge, with spheric or irregular shape were found in four placentas, five in the fetal side, four in the maternal side, and three in the chorioamniotic membranes, which you know all about. You are yeah, having, I yeah, as you I as make you make smoothies with those. Mm-hmm. Are you going to <laughs> eat the placenta? No. <laughs> well, don't because there's microplastics in yeah, it. So all microplastic no. particles were characterized in terms of morphology and chemical composition. Just you can ignore that because I don't know what it means either. All of them were pigmented. Three were identified as stained polypropylene and thermoplastic polymer. While for the other nine, it was possible to identify only the pigments, which are all used for man-made coatings, paints, adhesives, plasters, finger paints, polymers, and cosmetics and personal care products. Meaning that they could have just been from applying personal care products, from using personal care products, from drinking out of plastic, from using plastic, they could somehow have absorbed these plastics. Sounds like it, yeah. Oof. 
So not great. Basically, what I'm taking from this is like we are becoming one with our plastic waste that we're putting into the world as the human race. Yeah. Not great. In better, more positive news, Amanda Gorman, who was the poet star of the inauguration of Joe Biden, scored an IMG contract and specifically with IMG models. So she's been, I didn't know this, but she's been in the front row of Prada shows for a few seasons. And now we're sure to see her in campaigns, which is, it's funny how this stuff works, right? Like she wants to be president, I read, but she also wants to be a model. And maybe the next president's going to be like a poet, you know, model, and she'll have like a reality show. I mean, the last president was a <laughs> reality show. True. Guy. Um, that's cool. I didn't realize that it was specifically with IMG on the model side, because I know that they're didn't IMG partner with William Morris Endeavor? Like they're like a huge yep. talent agency now. They basically represent Everyone. writers, bloggers, wrestlers, wrestlers athletes, models, models, everyone. Actors. Yeah, no, she got the contract with IMG models. So expect to see more of Amanda Gorman in that space. This is a, an interesting story. La Citaine files for bankruptcy and plans to close 23 stores. And La Citaine, for those who aren't familiar, is that brand inspired by the French countryside, by like Provence, that they infuse, you know, lavender and things like that into, I think their most famous product is a really actually very well absorbing hand cream in like a aluminum tube, but they have a whole like body and probably hair and skin line. Oh, people um, really love their almond oil, like in yep. shower. Like oil to... Oil to foam um, wash. Foam. But here's, I had no idea that that was even a thing when I first started working in beauty and they had sent me a package of products and that was in it. And I thought it was just a body oil. And so I'd been using this bond, <laughs> putting it on after the shower. And it was actually soap. <laughs> and it was so sticky. I was like, this is so sticky throughout the day. I was like, this is like not a great product. I don't know why everybody loves it, but you're supposed to rinse it off. Yeah. Well, they had too many brick and mortar stores. I think, you know, they were in every mall, basically. They have 166 stores, so they're only closing 23. So this company is not going out of business per se. I think they're probably just using the bankruptcy filing to reorganize their business. And by the way, it's not just because of COVID. No. Sales were declining before. There's just also a lot of competition in the body space, in the hand space, Brazilian uh, bum bum cream. Bum bum cream is the number one body brand in Sephora. So Lositan has has more competition. Yeah, I think that they probably just didn't shift online in the right way, right? But at the same time, like Bath and Body Works is killing but, it. But like, I think the problem though is that Lositan doesn't appeal to a young consumer. It feels very lady. It doesn't feel young and cool. And Bath and Body Works, I think, has somehow been able to like continue to evolve with the kids. You know, even you go on bathandbodyworks.com. Right now, Bath & Body Works is promoting pineapple, mango, and watermelon lemonade candles. La Citaine is promoting rose, lavender, and like lemon verbena hand cream. So you can just tell even in their front page storefront marketing that it's just like a different demo. There's a overnight reset oil and serum, a divine eye serum, it's definitely a, an older customer who probably is more comfortable going into stores. That's probably why their you know, numbers are declining. What's our tip? Like if we were to go in as brand consultants, as we both are and have been, I would look at Bath & Body Works and say, okay, they have 
all these gourmand flavors that do yep. really well for them, right? They have like this thing on their website, a sweeter sink, and it's all these soaps that are like strawberry pound cake and hand sanitizers that are like Cinnabons and yeah. whatever. And like so, birthday cake body lotion so that like guys find you sweet. So we would tell <laughs> La Satan to be like, Okay, put yourself in a French patisserie. Here's what I'd say. La Citaine, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call you Loc, L-apostrophe-O-C. That's the new name. Forget La Citaine. And we're going to have... Too hard to say. Yeah. It's too hard to say. I don't know what it means. I'm already not listening. I'm on TikTok. Here's what we're going to call your products. We're going to have Pan au Chocolat, Body Mist. Mm. Um, What else should we have? I mean, Macaron is like... Low-hanging fruit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Strawberry macaron body powder. What else? They do need a hand sanitizer. Maybe it's like... um. What if it was like something like kind of like, why does this work, but they made it work? Like a brie? Uh- I think that's trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? That's great for social media. Like you can do the brie, the brie lock challenge where like... You put the Brie hand sanitizer on your hands and see if your boyfriend like asks why your hands smell like Brie. Brie and apple. Perfect. Okay. I'm, okay. Problem Maybe solved. that's a candle. They should do – do they do <laughs> candles? A cheese candle sounds disgusting. In other news, Dr. Fauci, our patron saint of public health, says that we now have to wear two masks. We talked about this at the top of the episode – but just to emphasize, basically, he he wore a cute one with penguins on it. What he's recommending and what the CDC is recommending is a medical grade, you know, those blue or black three-ply masks mm-hmm. first, and then you put a cloth mask on top. And essentially what we've kind of known but have ignored is that these cloth masks on their own don't really do anything. So you need to have a disposable medical grade mask underneath it. You can buy them on Amazon. And you're supposed to throw them away every day. You're not supposed to reuse them. The other alternative, which I was talking to a doctor the other day who recommended these, is are the KN95s, which are the, I believe, Chinese version of the N95 mask. They have a much better, like, fit on your, like, beak. (laughs) And, (laughs) I mean, at least I have a beak. And they are considered as good as, like, a double mask. But don't honestly take... Any advice from us? I just, I love the the articles that are like, what's the science behind double masking? And they're like, well, the more physical barriers that you can put between your face holes and the COVID virus, it's like, yes, like a brick wall, <laughs> a <Yeah>. door. <laughs> are, is face holes the scientific term? I mean. Might be. I, don't you think that the words are probably derived from the Latin term for face hole? Probably, actually. That's usually how it works in medical terminology. So, you know, lose the attitude. Alta and Credo. Yes. What? You say two retailers? Not unlike Sephora going into Target, we now have Credo, which is the clean beauty retailer that only has nine stores in the country, teaming up with Alta Beauty, the huge Sephora competitor. And they're going to have clean beauty end caps by Credo in Alta stores. So this is, again, you know, beauty retailers holding hands to try to lure consumers into stores. A quote from Monica Arnado, who's the chief merchandising officer at Ulta, says that we know 90% of Gen Z shoppers intend to buy clean beauty products in the next year. So interestingly enough, this is like, I guess, a Gen Z thing. Where are they getting that though? Did they send like a survey around to... (laughs) 
Like, what does that even mean? 90% of Gen Z shoppers intend to buy a (laughs) clean beauty product. (laughs) That's because, like, someone sent an email out being like, would you rather something that's dirty or something that's clean? And then everyone's like, clean. Well, you know how I feel about the word clean. I know. Walgreens, your neighborhood drugstore, has a new CEO. Her name is Rosalind Brewer, and she came from Starbucks. She was the chief operating officer of Starbucks. And this is incredible and kind of sad because she is the first and only black female CEO of a Fortune 500 company, hopefully the first of many. You know, her first order of business is obviously figuring out COVID-19 vaccination distribution within Walgreens stores. But I think beauty will continue to play a large part in the drugstore ecosystem and figuring out how Walgreens can up its beauty cred will probably at a certain point once COVID is under control will become a bigger initiative just like CVS has tried and tried again to up their upscale beauty offerings and Dwayne Reed has redone a lot of their beauty floors. Now Walgreens is getting the hopefully the beauty treatment. But congratulations to Roz Brewer. So that's it for top stories. Let's get into our interview for the week. We wanted to get back to our roots, which is, you know, editorial, artist, makeup, creativity. I'm just, I'm just stringing words along together. But, but, you know, we talked to Dick Page a while ago now, the makeup artist behind some of Marc Jacobs' most famous campaigns and who worked with Kate Moss and all these people. And, you know, we wanted to talk to another makeup artist, but this time someone who worked on the red carpet and celebrity side of things, just to understand how COVID has impacted and changed their business and their way of doing business. And also someone who specifically works a lot with men in Hollywood, because I think it's sort of the dirty secret of Hollywood that everyone has a makeup artist, no matter your gender. And so we were lucky to get a little bit of time with Tasha Brown, who is, among other things, one of Chanel Beauty's makeup ambassadors. And she has a really interesting story of how she got into beauty. She was a graffiti artist. She did go-go dancers makeup. She did like 10 people's makeup for 35 bucks a night around Hell's Kitchen when she first got to New York. That's good money. Yeah. Now she's painting people like Michael B. Jordan. Um, I'm just going to leave that one there. And we talked to her about sort of what she's doing, how her job has changed, and how she got to where she is. So here's that interview. We're so excited to talk to you because sometimes we get really into the news part of our podcast, like the beauty news, the women's wear daily stuff. But we have touched on and we always want to like come back to the artistry aspect and the sort of the the talent side of things. So, you know, we talked to Dick Page I guess that was like phase one of quarantine, right? Yeah. Many months ago. Well, no, I guess like with him, the cool thing was quarantine was kind of opening back up and he was starting to do makeup on set again. And we were like asking him about how things had changed, which I guess you're probably working again and doing clients in the age of COVID. In the age of COVID, I'm on, currently I'm on lockdown number 17. They just, as soon as you think they left, they happen again. So it's been a constant phase of, getting ready to go back out in the world and work. And as soon as you get adjusted to working again, and then it stops. So it was interesting to talk to him about like how this protocol on set has evolved to 
you know, compensate for all the challenges that COVID presents in that kind of a setting. I know initially red carpet was dead and you're, I would imagine like 70% of your work is red carpet work. Would that be right? 70% of it is red carpet slash press. So while the red carpet is very, very, very much scaled back and the red carpet is actually someone's backyard or someone's living room now, the press is still going. There's a lot of Zoom press. So it's trickling in, nothing in person yet, which makes sense because the numbers are insane, but the press is going and people are promoting things. So there's still a lot of work to be done. It started where it was like, teach them to do it themselves. And I think that hit a hard stop. It was like, you can't really (laughs) teach somebody to do their face themselves when they've been sitting in a chair and getting it done for the last 20 years. So that pretty much petered out a little bit. And mostly it's just been going into people's homes, getting them ready in the backyard. You used to stay with them till the bitter, bitter end. Now it's just, you kind of do it outside safely and then you go and leave them be. And again, it's a Zoom. So the level of detail we're not really seeing anymore. So in some ways your work is a little more pronounced because you have to get it to read on this tiny little box and there's about eight or nine boxes going on. So there's a lot of changes going on, but the safety aspect is a big change, but not too much of a change, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it has changed your technique? It's changed my, not my technique, my decision-making. Whereas before I'll go, you know what, we'll do something really soft and really subtle. Well, on Zoom, it reads like nothing. You have to push it a little bit to get it to read just a touch. So it just changes my decision making, but the technique is still the same. I mean, and it's, I guess it's probably a load off that you aren't worrying about HD cameras. Like the red carpet, like the photography has gotten so crystal clear that you can see everything. The photography is so crystal clear and they zoom in. And the, for a moment there, there was this culture of being mean where it wasn't celebratory. It was like, let's just zoom in and see what's wrong with it. Let's just pick, you know, and picking people apart. But now I feel like you can control the image more because again, you're doing it in the home, you're shooting it in the backyard, you're sending the shots that you like through in the poses that you like. There's a, you can switch it up a little bit, or even if there is a red carpet that you have an allotted time slot, you stand in front of the step and repeat, take the image, move on. And you can very much control that little section of time that you have versus it's just a a long red carpet, screaming photographers and it's a little bit hectic and they're shooting really fast, really quickly. So now I think in their craft, there's more attention paid to getting the shot right because you know she's not just going to breeze on by and move down. Right. Can we back up? How did you become a makeup artist? Where are you from? I'm born and raised in LA. I did not do makeup. I didn't start doing makeup in LA. I actually started doing makeup in New York. I moved to New York when I was 18, packed up everything, which was one suitcase and maybe a duffel bag. I packed up everything. I went to New York and you did back then you could just fall in with a random group of artists. You just meet somebody and then these are my new group of friends. And then you, there were just random art galleries. And I was actually, it was so young. I was actually doing graffiti. So we're spray painting these like buildings. <laughs> we're climbing onto the roof late at night, you know, when we wouldn't get arrested. <laughs> Your group in New York was graffiti artists? Yeah, I was doing She graffiti. was a graffiti artist. I'm nice. You give me a spray can. I'm nice with the spray can. Spray can and a needle so I can manipulate the nozzle. I'm good. What was your tag? Like, what was your graffiti name? You know what? Not even hiding it. I would just tag my government name. (laughs) (laughs) 
I got in trouble. I couldn't say no. But there was a little character that I always drew next to it. So that was like more my tag. It was like a little, it's like a little girl. It almost looked like a kindergarten drawing, like a little circle face with a triangle dress and little lit. It was very childlike. Do you ever come back to New York and try to find your tag? No, because it's been so long. I, to be honest, my son is 14 and I just graffiti his room. So his room has lots of like spray paint everywhere on the furniture and on the walls. I'm like, he likes it. I don't actually know if he likes it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you move to New York to become an artist or for art school or something? Or what was like the driving force behind that move? Do you know, I went to New York because that's where artists were. I did not have a plan. I just knew that that's where artists were. Artists were in New York. Everything was a canvas. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, I'm going there and I'm going to just do art. I will do art on walls. I will do art on canvases. I will do art on faces, falling in random groups of artists, graffiti. And then, you know, the ultimate goal was to do something obviously more marketable than defacing buildings. But um, <laughs> hey, people get paid a lot of money for that now. <laughs> so you're 18 years old and you said to your parents, New York is where the artists are. That's how this works. And they were like, okay, cool. See you later. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to do art. St-. It wasn't even that involved. It's like, I'm going to do art stuff in New York because LA's art was more like fine art and very fancy. And it was just a little bit more grown up. So I was like, I'm going to go to New York and do art and see what happens. But I feel like that's kind of everyone's story when they go to New York. They're like, We're just going to go and see what happens. And I went and I saw what happened and it, it all worked. Everything. It's so funny. Art, everything has its flow. You'll find the medium you're supposed to be in. And I found the medium I'm supposed to be in. I went from graffiti to backstage to music. So it's I've kind of done it all in the art world. So graffiti to backstage, meaning like for fashion shows? For fashion shows. In falling in a group of artists, it was just like, hey, I know somebody who can get us backstage. And you could sneak backstage and smoke cigarettes with the models because... <laughs> It was just a different time than now you probably get thrown out by security. But back back then, if you knew somebody who knew somebody and I snuck backstage and I was the head, like, I remember it was an old Louis, my mom's old Louis Vuitton bag and the zipper was even broken. And I had two foundations that I just was going to mix and make work on everybody. (laughs) And a couple Mac eyeshadows, because that was fancy. And wet and wild stuff, like the liners, we kind of had to hit it with a lighter to get it to move. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go backstage and do makeup. And, you know, I, I started and they were like, no, 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 that's a little too far. You can't just show up backstage with a bag full of random stuff. And But you can clean brushes. You obviously seem motivated and go get me coffee. Like find something clean, just wipe her face off. So what, so what, what shows did you do? What were your, your first resume hits? Betsy Johnson. It was Betsy Johnson and Carmen Mark Volvo. Yeah. Betsy Johnson was one of the first ones that snuck back in there. And I was like, you know what? Because it seemed so fun. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. Those are colors. And then a couple artists were like, you know what? Well, I have a job next week. If you want to come by and help me clean brushes or hey, I have a friend who they need somebody to just carry their kid. And it kind of started from there in the vault. So how were you making, like, how were you living while you were doing that? The performers in Hell's Kitchen would pay you $35 cash to do their makeup. The performers 
be more specific, please. Random go-go dancers, or even there was a large drag show that was going on and all the drag queens would let you, you couldn't do their makeup because you were not that skilled, right. but you could touch it up. You could put the lash on. You could help with that. Dancers that were kind of, they were off, they did Broadway shows, but in between Broadway shows, they'd kind of do like cabaret pop-ups or just artists pretty much that didn't really have a title. It's just like, oh, I'm going to, this bar is letting us come in and do it then, you know, because they were trying, they were just like me, they were hustling. You're trying to make money while you're pursuing your craft. So $35, that was a lot of money. If you had three girls in the night, that's a hundred bucks. That goes so far when you're living with five people in a two bedroom (laughs) and trying to make it work. So that's how I actually made money. Just again, random artist groups and troops that all knew that we were pursuing our dreams. So you do what you have to do in between. And I'm always interested to hear like how people made it work because it's ever increasingly difficult to make it in New York. I moved to New York in 2006. And already then, like the best days of being able to like be in a little artist community were probably already gone. But even, you know, in the last 15 years, New York has become even more prohibitive. And now that stuff that was maybe happening in Hell's Kitchen is now happening deep in Bushwick or in Queens or something. And it's hard, you know, an 18 year old can't really just move to New York and try to make it work. Like seemingly that's not really an option. Yeah. Again, it's just different times. Nowadays, I can't even imagine. I'm like, you can't make money, you know, doing $35 faces while running around the city. But it was just, even living was different there. The places you could live, you could actually get, I mean, now, of course, it's all kind of prohibited to have that many people in a space. But back then, I feel like all of the dancers on Broadway or the actors or singers, we all kind of were in cramped quarters and creating together and sharing opportunities. And I think a lot of that still happens, but it's gone online. Like I'll talk to my younger friends like, well, I connected with this artist here and we've been messaging each other. Well, that was all sort of like in our building, like, oh, somebody on the fifth floor <laughs> knows somebody that knows somebody. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a sign yeah. times because I don't think that could happen now. Even when I look back on it, I'm like, I don't know how, you don't know how you do it, but you're so busy doing it. You don't have time to really stop and think about the impossibleness of it. Because it was all, everything was impossible. Like, oh, I'll go to New York. It's like, yeah, well, you don't really know. And then you're there. And it's like, well, I need to make it. And then you're making this. So if you just keep going. You have to have a calling for it. You can't put that much effort and worry and, you know, wondering if you don't really love what you do, because that'll peter out. And then you'll just go work at your father's law firm or just something random like that. In some ways, it's like, yes, the passion is great. But it's also at a certain point, you have to be honest with yourself. Like, do I have the talent? This happened to me with writing where I was like, you know what? I'm never going to be super successful as a writer because I just don't have the talent. Like that is not where my talent is. Did you have a moment where you were like, actually, I'm good at this. I'm getting good feedback and I can get to the next level and sort of make this into a career? You know, it's the bravado of youth. I didn't really get to that point because there are no real world consequences yet. I think if I were still in that struggle and real world consequences were happening, then of course you have to make a decision. But again, when you're compelled to create art, you'll just, you'll find a way to do it. You find a way to even be adjacent to something you love. I'm not going to be a fine artist, but you know what? Dang it. I love art. I'll work in a gallery. Do you know what I mean? You'll always stay close to what you love or find something 
in that world, even if you your specific goal is not met. What was your first job where you were like, okay, this legitimizes me even more as like a real makeup artist? I think when I started working on models, because, you know, doing dancers and actors for whatever show they're doing is great. When you started working on models, these are real models. They've traveled the world. They've had people in Milan do their makeup, people in Paris. And she says that she loves her face. So that was so validating in a way. It was somebody that was worldly, someone that had had the best of the best. And she liked what I did, you know, or models will also, after a while, you'll get to know that and they'll sort of seek you out. Like you can see them hanging back and waiting to get in your chair. That was my first like sense of validation. They want me to paint their face. Oh, that's sweet. They're all like waiting to be like picked by you in like dodgeball, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Can you name like names at this point? Like set the moment. I assisted Tom Pichot. I assisted Mark Kiriskeo. I assisted Pat McGrath a couple of times and Charlotte Tilbury. Those are the names that stick with me where I'm like, I'm actually learning from someone who is a master at their craft. And when you're my age and you're doing makeup and you look up and you see somebody amazing that you want to see yourself reflected back in them, there was only Pat. Pat was the only Black woman I saw like doing major shows in Paris. And she was the goal. I wanted to do a Galliano show and sit in a studio and throw random paint on the model. Like she was just the, she was fantastic. She was who I wanted to be. And then I look over and I see her and she's right there. We're breathing the same air. So, so she's the one where I was like, gosh, you're just, she was everything. And she was the inspiration. She was the bar to the set. She was just, she was Pat McGrath. She's still Pat McGrath. It's funny that they're, you know, they're not funny. It's sort of poignant that Pat has achieved so much success, but in the world of high fashion makeup, she's kind of singular as a black woman in this field. That is the reality of it is there are so few things have changed, but there are even so few now in the space that I occupy. And I'm very aware of it. But if we're looking at that generation, there's Pat McGrath, Pat McGrath, and Pat McGrath, even the models. Do you know what I mean? Like we've got Naomi, we've got Tyra. There was so, and there was one or two that came before them, but it was it. If you were a black makeup artist and you wanted to do high fashion, you could look up to Pat McGrath and Pat McGrath only if you wanted to see yourself reflected back. There's a million Pat McGraths that just didn't get the chance. So there's a million amazing, there's so much talent, but they just didn't have the opportunity. So she was the one who broke barriers. She's still breaking barriers. I can't think of a word that qualifies what she means to art in general or makeup artists in general because what she's doing is groundbreaking and there's been none before her so whatever she does she didn't set the bar she is the bar so when did you leave new york and sort of put a pin in the runway stuff you know models and rock stars go hand in hand so there was a model who had a boyfriend who's a musician and I was like, all right, cool. And they're doing a photo shoot. And I was like, okay, well, they're rock stars. So they're kind of, you know, they're. I'll take some black eyeliner. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and I just started working with bands. I've probably worked with every, if they've held a guitar, I've worked with them. I just, I've started doing bands. And I think 
a lot of bands liked me because I wasn't a fan. That wasn't the music that I listened to. That wasn't the music I grew up listening to. I was like, this just sounds like noise. Congratulations on getting people to buy all of this loud noise you make. But again, it's just noise. <laughs> Not, I don't think this is cute at all. Who is your first rock star? Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin. That's a big one. That's a pretty big one. But I had, I was literally, he sat down and I was like, yeah, so, you know, you play guitar, huh? Everyone was like, really? Are you kidding me? He was like, kind of. I was like, so, you know, we're just chatting. And again, I think when you approach people in a way that you just, I'm not a fan, you know, our experience today will be our experience today together, but I'm coming in this with zero. I know nothing about you or what you do. So I think that was refreshing because he was, he was so lovely. I think he found me so amusing. I went from there to, like I said, every single band, but the one I stuck with the longest and the one that I always think about is Stone Temple Pilots. That will always be my favorite. Scott Weiland was awesome. As an artist and as a creator, he would just blow my mind every single time. Like in terms of he would want to collaborate on set with you or... He was just like a very inspiring presence to be around. All of it. He was an inspiring presence to be around. He loved to collaborate. If you look at the history of his looks, he hit every single color of the rainbow with his hair. He's tried all kinds of styles. He's gone from cornrows to, <laughs> to like a red shag. He always wants to try something new and it works every single time. There are certain people that try it. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't work. Everything he did felt authentic because he was so into it and so invested. And to, again, when you're with someone and they're a master at their craft, to watch them work, it's mesmerizing and it's humbling yeah. and it's exciting. Above all, like in that time, that whole beginning part of my career, I was working, but I was just such a student of the people that I was in their presence, even if our art wasn't the same. Is that kind of how you got into the grooming side of your work? Or I always wondered that because there's makeup artists that you know, you look at their Instagram bio or whatever, and it's like, I'm a makeup artist. And then there's the makeup artists who have the slash grooming. And you work with a lot of men. Is that kind of how it got started? Or was it more like backstage stuff? That's how I got started with bands. But you know, it's like, like I said, in art, everything has its flow. The reason I am so good with men and with skin is because I spent all those years backstage just prepping the model's skin. That's mm -hmm. it. You don't, you're not skilled. Don't play with colors. No eyeshadows for you. Prep her skin. Clean her skin. Take off the skin from the last show. And you have to do it quick, fast, and in a hurry. Even now, like colors, graffiti, you have to blend colors. You have to, you know, you have to be able to see things as you're doing them larger. That helps because as I'm doing a face, which is small and it's right here, you have to have the vision to see it. Some things that look big here. Once it's on a red carpet and you have all the environment behind it, you have to be able to have the forethought of what that's going to look like. So, you know, it's all training. What's also funny is like in your career, you've also experienced, I mean, now you're a Chanel ambassador and, you know, that's like the pinnacle of sort of the makeup field, but you've experienced this transition of makeup and hairstyling from like a service profession and a behind the scenes, behind the curtain profession into this, you know, makeup artists and hairstylists are celebrities in their own right. And they create brands and they, you know, like there was Pat McGrath. She was, it was kind of insidery like that. You would even know who Pat McGrath was at that point, but now it's considered more of an art, more of a, certainly is more of a thing to be famous for. How is that like transition? How have you experienced it on the ground? 
on my end, it's exciting because you want people to seek you out for your art. It's like a Jackson Pollock, but you know, not all Jackson Pollocks look the same, but you know Jackson Pollock when you see it. You find people who like your style of art and they can tell, like when I look at work, sometimes I can tell, like I know when Dick Page is on a face, if I'm like flipping through a magazine without being the same, like you have a signature. And so it's just your style. It's your case level. Yeah. Now there's people who probably go into makeup or hair because they want to be famous. which like in your generation or any other generation before this one, it would never be a field you would go into for clout. You know, you would have a lot of respect within the industry, but that was kind of the pinnacle. There was not this idea that you could have 2 million Instagram followers. There wasn't a glamour to it that I guess there is now. No, and you do have to pick one or the other because if you go into it to be famous and your art can't back it up, then you are just known for you and you are the product your skill and your talent and the art you're putting out is not the gift. It is you. So that's difficult to maintain. But if it's your art, it's timeless and you can just do it and people that like it will see. It's very, to have both is amazing. But if you go into it to be famous, you probably end up being disappointed because you do have to put up or shut up at a certain point. My dad is a book agent and he always told me growing up that He would never do any interviews or never do any press about being an agent or his clients because no clients want, you know, an agent who's getting press. Like no one wants that. You know, like the client is the celebrity, quote unquote. And I would imagine that with the egos that exist in the entertainment industry and in music, it's probably similar. It's funny sometimes that a JLo works with someone like Chris Appleton, where it's like, Isn't J-Lo the star of the show? But now Chris is also kind of the star of the show. And it's a funny sharing of the spotlight that I wonder if is also a decision you make as a makeup artist. Like I'm willing to risk the jobs I'm not going to get because people are like insecure or intimidated or just don't want to share that. Not if you're authentic. If you're authentic and you make authentic choices, you could be as popular or as fancy as you want to. It's when you are not authentic and the client can tell You're pushing me towards this look because you want to get a bunch of likes. You're pushing me towards this look because you want that product. You're being sponsored. I can tell. You know, good and well, I don't want glitter on my face. I'm a grown woman. What are you doing? That's when it's a problem because it's like, I'm not the tool for you to be popular. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? You're not respecting their, if I'm, when I make a decision for clients, it's authentic. I'm always making the best decision for that client that works with their brand, that works with the spirit of who they are or where they're going. And so none of that matters. I don't know Chris very well, but I'm guessing that's the same thing. He's authentic. Well, yeah, clearly JLo would never, he would be so quickly out of the picture if he was all talk and no substance. It's authentic. It's coming from an authentic place. And if people celebrate you for the amazing work you're doing, that's authentic. That's great. But when you're doing it on the other end, it gets over really, really quickly. You don't go very far. Are you finding clients coming to you through Instagram now? Are they like in your DM saying like, hey, I saw what you did on this celebrity or this person and I want the same thing for myself? Kind of. Instagram is one big marketing tool. They'll see you and then they'll have their publicists reach out because they like your work that you're doing. Otherwise, it's hard to find. Like when I wanted to find who did something, you had to open the magazine and read that little, little print in the crease that said makeup by. And it was harder to find people that had your style that you could work with. You had to do so much trial and error. And then when you found someone, you held on to them for dear life. Now Mm -hmm. it's easier. You can see all their recent projects. You get a feel for who they are. 
And it's just a better way to match. So I feel like social media is amazing for that. You can find so many different artists and so much talent. Even beyond that, you can just find like-minded individuals that you can connect with. So I love it. Okay. Michael B. Jordan. Yes. (laughs) Can we talk about Michael B. Jordan? How you started working with him? What does he smell like? Et cetera, et cetera. She's like, he DM'd me. He slid into my DM. <laughs> so the film of my life, and I'll always say this, the film of my life is Black Panther. Because I was on Black Panther Press for just, it felt like two solid years. And then after that, Avengers mm. Press, like another year. And it was all encompassing because it was amazing. And it was just groundbreaking. And so it was like this little hive of us that were going around and doing press together and his publicist ended up matching us and he is the loveliest human being. He's so kind. He's so sweet. He's everything that you think he is and more. What goes into making him look as perfect as possible for if he's getting his photo taken or he's doing press? He's one of those people where genetics just played him a wonderful hand. (laughs) I see pictures of his mother. I'm like, that boy looks just like his mama. He's just, he smells like success. (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny so with male grooming even when you are 100% perfect as Mike is you're still going to get shiny that's the success yes just coming out of (laughs) such a bright light and shines all the time but he's one of those where it's just there's nothing that needs to be done except you just don't need to shine so I think sometimes with male groomers they're like oh you piece them together from scratch it's like most of the men I work with are pretty perfect. Most of the time, I'm not doing anything corrective. But grooming in itself is an interesting space. Like now, it's like we're groomers before it was like, what do you mean? Because there was, if you're in the industry, you know that everybody needs hair, makeup and grooming. It doesn't matter how perfect. Meaning like boys, girls, hot character actors, hotties, whatever. Everybody needs it. Even the kids, because the light is doing something to them that real life isn't doing. They're shiny. Sometimes they're flat because they're in the back. If you're in front of the camera, you have had hair, makeup, or grooming. When we do it in the industry, we all know that. So I think when other people caught on, they were like, it's makeup. It's like, no, not really. It's just kind of making them look how they look with your real eye on camera. It's so funny. That's my saying. If there's no hair or makeup, there is the documentary. You're probably right that shine is just universally the issue that guys probably have the most and don't like the look of. And you're not being photographed or shooting a movie. So like you need to be able to exist in real life. It is more of a documentary style production called life. Is there a product or a technique that you can sort of like help all the shine, but face to face not look like you're wearing anything? Or is that not really possible? Yeah, of course it's possible. You, but I'm always a fan of fixing it before it starts. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not wait till it starts and then dump a bunch of stuff on it. It is as simple as like, let me see what's in your toiletry bag. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't need an oil-based cleanser. Let's give you something that's going to strip the oils more. Use this toner. It's really going to take all the surface oils off. You know, so I kind of tinker with your from start to finish. So by the time we get to actually needing coverage, we need so little that you don't really see it. But if you're not invested in the beginning part of it, by the time you get to the end, you got to dump a lot of stuff on their face. And then I can see that coverage from across the street. (laughs) So you don't want to get there. So you have to think of it in grooming from not just, oh, they got to set and dump a bunch of stuff on their face from start to finish. I've had 
very few, but some funny experiences having my makeup done for some TV stuff. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing I learned was if someone wants to put foundation on you, do not let them. I have a theory and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. I was on Good Morning America and they're doing TV anchor makeup, which is probably the most intense. It's basically like full drag. And they like start with foundation and then they add back in the shadows. And I ended up looking completely insane. Would you say that like in general, men who want to like a no makeup makeup look foundation is not your is it about sort of like subtler products no i think foundation is your friend i think that you probably look like a scary doll i can already see it just like once you yeah. do that you like blank the face out and you add it back in but that's the difference between a good groomer and a good groomer is that you just dump a lot of stuff on so you can't pull the eye I can see you. You have makeup. Yeah. So I work with what's naturally there. I could put on a full face of foundation on a man and you can't see it because technique has evolved. So a lot of the older shows, when you look at news anchors and they just like, it looks like claymation almost because they're so painted versus now it's not just technique has evolved, but product has evolved too. Fenty just gave us a crazy, crazy range of shades. And before that, like the different Brands would have a range of foundations. Now they have a range of foundations. And then there's like a tinted moisturizer range. And then there's this range. So there's different textures too. You need different textures. You don't just need the right color. You need the right texture for your skin. Not everybody can use a cream foundation. Some people can only use a cream foundation. So product has evolved. And so there's no need for you to think that if you put it on, people will be able to see it. You just have to find the right color and the right texture. It'll be invisible. So Nick, I think with that, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Product of the week. Yay. So let's do a sandwich. I'm going to start with a reader submitted product of the week. Then you can go and then it's going to go back to me for another reader submitted product of the week because I don't have a product of the week for myself because I have COVID and (laughs) I've not been doing shit and I haven't been buying new things and just give me a break. Okay. Got it. This product of the week submission comes from CK. My submission for product of the week is this amazing face shop, Freshian Big Mascara EXO2 Volume. You probably already know that the face shop is a Korean beauty brand, and although I don't fully subscribe to K-Beauty or own many other face shop products, this product is a game changer. I am part Korean, and though I don't have monolids, my eye shape definitely skews more Asian. However, I think this product would work well on any kind of eye shape. Now to get into the actual product, no matter how many times you swipe it over your lashes, it will not clump all caps. Instead, it builds up near the base of your eyelashes and gives you the fullest looking lash line while making the tips of your eyelashes fan up and out in a dough-like way. I love that. She's very being very specific yeah. about this. Yeah. It makes your lashes almost wet looking for a hot second, which I like because it never gets flaky and there's no friction when it goes on. This is me um, adding some like editorial notes here. She goes on to mention Lash Slick, Glossy is Lash Slick, which I worked on and the inspiration for that was wet eyelashes out of the shower. So interesting that she brought that up. Um, I'd say it's akin to Glossier's Lash Slick in terms of its anti-clump properties, but this one rung up the ladder of noticeability. You know what? You are such a verbose, talented writer. I'm having trouble reading this. Do you ever feel like your tongue is too big for your mouth, Nick? (laughs) No, but that could be a COVID symptom. By the way, 
did lose taste, did lose smell. It came back very quickly, though. The best part is that this thing is like five bucks. That is really impressive. Definitely no more than seven. You truly shouldn't have to spend $30 on mascara, people. She says she has a personal vendetta against your show. It didn't work for me at all. She says, apologies if this is slightly hard to come by. She usually buys it in person in her hometown. Look, everybody, just Google Face Shop. Again, the product is called Freshian Big Mascara EXO2 Volume. Wow. Thanks, CK. So my product of the week is one that I am still currently testing, but I think it's such a like interesting and cool and niche product that I think it's worth shouting out. It is the ORS Monoy Oil Anti-Breakage Leave-In Conditioning Cream. And this one goes out to all my other curly or kinky haired people. The reason why I found this out is because I'm kind of growing out my hair, which is really curly and kind of coarse. And the guy who's my hair guru, Peter Lux, was basically telling me that there, as it gets longer, you know, my fail-safe Bumble and Bumble Sumotech is not necessarily the right product to use. As it gets longer, you want something a little bit lighter. Um, and he recommended this Manoy Oil Leave-In Conditioner Conditioning Cream. And the reason why is because he met this guy on set who had the most insane curls. We're going to post a picture of his curls. And he asked this guy, how do you have such healthy, beautiful, gorgeous curls? And he was like, I'd use this every day. It smells delicious, like Tahitian coconut oil. And it's the ingredients. You don't want to look too close at the ingredients. There's some coconut oil and fragrance. That said, I did it yesterday. You put it in wet hair and it just like leaves your hair feeling really smooth and kind of silky and it prevents protein loss. Protein allegedly. loss. Allegedly. So it just keeps your hair strong. If you have curly <laughs> hair, anything like shampoos can really strip it and make it feel dry and frizzy. And so you want to kind of keep as much moisture without weighing it down as you can. And so far, so good. It is called, again, the ORS Manoy Oil Anti-Breakage Leave-In Conditioning Cream. I bought it on Jeff Bezos' website, but you can also buy it on houseofbeautyworld.com. It's $8.95 for 16 ounces, and it's a big tub. You'll have uh, months and months of use. Nick, can I give you just a little piece of advice as someone, I mean, you said you're growing out your hair, as someone with just unreasonably long hair, just be careful putting product in it and uh, letting that product run down your back, your body. Oh, breakouts. Mm -hmm. Especially coconut oil is a comedogenic. Yeah. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is a, this is a leave-in. Oh, but you're saying like when you wash it out. I mean, look, and when you go to bed and you're like, you, or you pull a t-shirt on over that cute little head of yours and it's on the back of your neck. But look, I'm glad for you. You might not have any problems at all. But if you do start breaking out, this could be the culprit. Just saying. I feel like the proof is in the pudding. And we're going to post again a picture of this guy who Peter showed me who has the most insanely beautiful curls. So if it works for him, we're going to see if it works for me. Okay, so Katie wrote in on Instagram. She says, I know people go nuts for Olaplex. I used to be one of them. But the IGK antisocial bond-building mask is where it's at. She linked to Sephora, which I will not click. I have thin but plentiful (laughs) hair that I color frequently. Light to dark, dark to light, all over the place. But I do take really good care of it. She has a Dyson hairdryer, Davina's products, no heat tools, 
etc. So it's not like this mask brought me back from the dead or something. However, with reduced showering whilst working from home and thus increased dry shampoo usage, this mask has made my hair like silk with zero split ends. I typically spritz this on my ends after putting dry shampoo on my roots. It makes my hair so shiny and it's completely clear and visible and dries instantly. She can wear it day and night and it smells great. She gets around 50 uses out of this can. So it sounds like an aerosol. And it doesn't cause that quote-unquote straw hair feeling from too much protein. Plus, it's vegan. She says she's excited that we're back. Thank you so much. Um, and she says, Nick, I think your baby's due date is my birthday. And I love that. Oh, my God. I love that Pisces energy. Your baby's going to be a Pisces? I don't know anything about uh, astrology, so I'm going to need some readers to fill me in on what a Pisces baby means. Should we have, after the baby is born, should we have an astrologist on to, like, Talk about her birth sign and like yes, predict her future. Yes. Anyway, if you want to submit a product of the week, DM us at Eyewitness Beauty or email us hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Make sure to include the relevant information about your skin, body, hair type, whatever's important for people to know to evaluate whether the product would work for them. You can't work for the brand. Mm-mm. And that's an honor system policy. And is there anything else? Well, I would say so I, first I was asking for oh, links. Oh, keep it beauty related. Keep it beauty related. I First I was like, you have to send us a link, but now don't ever send me a link. I'm not opening links from strangers. I'm not even opening links from friends because if you watch the movie, you will you will see that the reason that Jeff Bezos's nudes got leaked is because the crown prince of Saudi Arabia sent him a link on WhatsApp that he opened and it had malware, spyware in it that the Israelis sold to the Saudis. Can I just say something? I've made my peace with the fact that like on the internet, there probably is a picture of me naked. Um, that's actually not really what I'm worried about. I'm more worried about <laughs> like read our DMs and like see like okay, what. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Shall we call it? Let's wrap this up. That's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you so much for listening as always. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. You can follow us on Instagram at Eyewitness Beauty and you can email us anything you want at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. Research assistance is provided by Alicia Bansell. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode, so we will talk with you then. Wear a mask. Wear two. Oh yeah, wear two masks. <laughs> <laughs>